E4E is brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. In an effort to increase the availability and accessibility of UD expertise to Delaware's P12 educators, leaders, and policy influencers, we have invited faculty members from the University of Delaware's nine colleges to share their research. We hope you enjoyed today's critical conversation and consider ways you might be able to leverage relevant research and UD expertise to advance policy and transform practice. Hello, my name is Dr. Anastasia Pernington. I'm the Associate Policy Scientist for the Partnership for Public Education, and I will be the host for today's episode where we are joined by Drs. Bill Lewis and Jill Flynn, as well as two outstanding Delaware educators, Tara Pritchett and Casey Montanay. William Bill Lewis is a professor at the University of Delaware. His work at the university is focused on English language arts methods, writing, young adult literature, and content area literacy. He spent 20 years as a public school English language arts teacher before becoming a professor. Now, Dr. Lewis consults with the Departments of Education in Georgia and Delaware on best practices. He is also co-author of the book Cracking the Common Core, Choosing and Using Texts in Grades 6 through 12, and his new book, Literacy Instruction with Disciplinary Texts, written with co-author John Strong from the University at Buffalo. Jill Ewing Flynn is a professor at the University of Delaware. She taught middle and high school English for nine years before pursuing her PhD. Her work focuses on critical multicultural education, primarily on how teachers can engage with students in productive discussions about race. She teaches undergraduate methods courses and coordinates student teaching for the English education program at UD. Casey Montanay is a teacher and instructional coach at Shu Meadow Middle School in the Christina School District. She is a former District Teacher of the Year and a current member of the State Professional Standards Board. Much of her work at SHU is focused on improvement science and equity, including improving the ninth grade graduation rate for at-risk students based on the improvement work occurring at the middle school level. Her coaching work is also focused on bringing the community into her school. Tara Pritchett is a transformational speaker, award-nominated author, confidence coach for women, and an English teacher who was recognized as one of Delaware Today Magazine's top teachers in 2020. Pritchett serves as an advisor for Girls Empowered and Black Student Union, while leading as equity liaison for her school building. She is a fierce advocate for educational equity, literacy, and women empowerment, especially educational outcomes for African-American girls. We have brought these amazing guests together today to discuss their use of the Quad Tech Set approach to teach for equity and social justice in secondary ELA classrooms. Thank you all for being here. Before we begin our discussion, I think it might be helpful to have some background knowledge about the Quad Tech Set approach for some listeners who may be less familiar with it. What is the Quad Tech Set approach and how does it support adolescent literacy development? Yeah, well, so that's a great question. And I think to give a little bit of context is that I think we probably don't have to go too far for those who teach adolescent students to know that there is an adolescent literacy crisis right now. And, you know, one of the things that we see is that, you know, the National Assessment of Educational Progress really shows us that many adolescents are reading below proficiency and they really haven't moved very much or improved very much across the last several decades. So this is a really key problem. However, what's really discouraging about this is that there's also some contemporary research that shows that secondary teachers are not really having students read in the classroom very much. They're either reading to students, they're playing audio files of the readings, and then presenting that information in lectures where students fill in the blank notes or worksheets. So the colleagues that I work with have coined a term to describe this instruction as textless approaches to instruction. And the reason that we call that 
textless approaches is because in each of those instructional methods that I laid out there, students are really not being given the practice they need to construct meaning from challenging texts on their own. Like anything that we do in life, we only get better at that thing by actually practicing and doing the thing. And the same thing holds true for reading. So what we wanted to do is come up with a teacher-friendly framework that leveraged multiple texts to build the background knowledge, skills, and reading volume that students need to improve their ability to read and comprehend text. So that's an important place to stop. We need to make sure that kids are reading a volume of text at grade level in order to get that practice. And going back about a decade when the Common Core Standards came out, more than a decade now, my literacy colleague here at the University of Delaware, Sharon Walpole, immediately came to understand that the new standards really required more from students and their teachers, particularly in building those skills that students need to read and comprehend challenging grade level texts. And, of course, to think about how they synthesize information across texts. So in order to accomplish that goal, Sharon set out to design a multiple text framework, which our late writing partner, Michael Buchanan from the University of Virginia, and I incorporated in our 2014 book, Cracking the Common Core, which my current writing partner, Dr. John Strong, and I built our book around. We have called this the Quad Text Framework because basically at its heart, it strategically combines four different types of text to build the background knowledge, reading volume, and skills that students need to comprehend what we've been calling a target text, which is a challenging text at grade level. This framework combines a short video text to activate background knowledge, an informational text or text to build more specific background knowledge, a challenging target text that those texts are building that knowledge for, which serves as a vehicle to teach our key disciplinary skills, and then that fourth text is basically an accessible text that allows students to synthesize and extend their understanding of those concepts by making connections between texts. I know this all sounds somewhat complex, but basically at its heart, it's really about making a shift from telling students about our content to students learning concepts and skills through the reading of multiple texts. And, you know, one of the things that Jill and I really believe is that one of the most important and challenging topics to learn about is equity. You know, we don't want to just pay lip service to equity. We want to prepare students to engage in really important ideas around equity and then to kind of build the capacity for them to take action. Jill, as Bill mentioned, you both believe equity is one of the most critical and challenging topics to learn about. I know equity literacy is a term you use in your work. What is equity literacy and why is it important to develop equity literacy as an educator? Sure. So Paul Gorski and Katie Swalwell have done a lot of work. It's been really influential to me in guiding my thinking about equity literacy. And I encourage everyone listening to check out the Equity Literacy Institute website, where it really goes into depth about the definition. But Gorski says that equity literacy is more than just appreciating diversity or understanding some things about culture. It means really growing skills and dispositions that allow us to recognize even the most subtle acts of bias or inequity that could be based on race, gender identity and expression, sexuality, ability status, social class, religion, immigration status, any of those identity markers. So having equity literacy means that you understand that these experiences deeply impact students and their opportunities or their lack of opportunities in education. Equity literacy is really vital then for all of us educators to cultivate so that we can 
one, understand how inequity operates in both schools and in our larger society, and two, fully commit to really working for equity. Because of what scholars have called the demographic imperative, which is just quickly the mismatch between the identity of the U.S. teaching force, primarily white, female, and middle class, and the increasing diversity of students, teachers really have to be aware that our own lived experiences may be very different from that of our students and understand it's our professional obligation to work for equity. Ultimately, the goal is to create and sustain bias-free and anti-oppressive classrooms, schools, and institutional cultures so that we can fulfill our promise as a country of a rigorous and supportive education system that is helping to prepare critical and informed citizens. So, as Jill just explained for us, social justice and equity have always been critical issues in schools. But since Bill and Jill's article was published in 2017, it has come to the forefront of national discourse. So, Tara and Casey. How have you seen equity and social justice topics included by other teachers you work with within their classroom instruction? I work closely with student teachers in my district and also new teachers. One of the things that I've found is that equity is more of the normal discourse among newer teachers. They understand how important social justice is. There's fewer conversations that I have to have with them about, let's talk about teaching students skills versus a text. It's kind of a a thing that veteran teachers fall back to is I must teach this text. With newer teachers, I find that they are understanding they need to teach the skill and equity is one of those skills that they know they need to teach. The approach has changed. On the other hand, though, veterans do know the right questions to ask. So a lot of them know, I don't know about this, but this is the question I have about it. So they ask the right questions, but then those pre-service younger teachers seem to have the background information. But overall, I think all groups find that equity and social justice is really important, regardless of what their comfort level is with it, which brings me to quad tech sets. I don't know that I've personally seen the evolution from where it was at the beginning until now as a whole, but I have seen it work with an individual teacher where they jump into a concept and it starts as this unit that they think is going to happen a certain way. And then it starts evolving as the students are finding things that they're passionate about and the teacher ends up changing things. Then over time, those text sets end up working better and better. So they're kind of learning alongside their students in the work. And I think that that is probably the most important evolution that could happen with it is just jumping in and having the work happen with the kids and you learn side by side. So I agree with Casey. I feel like equity is talked about a whole lot more now than when I first started almost 10 years ago. So I would say that I feel like Casey and I were lucky enough that we had Bill and Jill as our professors in college. So when I started my teaching career, I already started out the gate with quad test sets. A lot of my peers weren't as familiar with it. So I feel like over time, they warmed up to it more. And because I did get to learn it, as an undergrad. And then as I started my career, I got to have those conversations with my colleagues. I think at least in my own school, in my own building, with my own department, I think that I've kind of been influential in helping them to understand how quad tech sets work, different texts that they can pull in in order to make their sets better. I think something else I've noticed over time is that young adult literature is something that my department often says that they struggle sometimes pulling in, but they want to be culturally relevant. They want to be team friendly. And that's what I also love to do as well. So I think that 
that's now kind of spreading to all different departments, especially our history department and our science department. And as the equity liaison in my building, people have been coming to me over the last couple of months saying, hey, I really want to learn, like, how can I be more equitable or incorporate certain things into science or even into math? Because I think sometimes people get stuck. But we got to realize that, yeah, we do social justice and literacy in an English classroom, but that can also obviously translate to all of our teachers when we're thinking about equity and we're thinking about literacy because you're reading and writing in all of these courses. And Tara, I agree. I feel like the young adult lit is playing a big part in my school specifically. There's a lot of teachers who that's kind of, it's almost a comfort level for them to attack an, an equity issue because they could read that text in such a short period of time. So they could digest that in maybe a single sitting or two, and then they, they're ready to bring that to their students. So I think young adult lit is a really big part to making these work in our schools with our teachers. I really love the points that you're making here, because I think, you know, when I think about like, even some of the conversations I had when you were undergraduates, and now you've been really, you know, amazing professionals, and you've been in the in the field for for a good long time, we used to have those conversations, like there was a lot of people that were just really into the canonical texts, right? So you have to teach Romeo and Juliet, you have to teach these particular texts. And so I think that that is not necessarily true, first of all, right? But I think that also one of the things is in then pairing those texts with young adult texts, with canonical texts, really allows us to have and put those texts in conversation with one another really allows us a lot of opportunities as teachers to teach about equity from a contemporary standpoint and sort of trace that development over time. It's a danger to have that single voice out there, that one voice. And I think when you put those texts in conversation, particularly really, really good, high-quality young adult literature that features diverse characters from diverse backgrounds, that's a really good way to start putting those texts in conversation and getting students involved in those really important conversations that can sometimes be uncomfortable, but are actually made and facilitated much better through the vehicle of literature and and especially young adult literature. And Bill, I'll admit I was the one through school who never quite finished those canonical texts I was supposed to read. And I'm like (laughs) the English person and I love to read. And I was like, I can't do this because that's all we ever did was start to finish, we're going to get through this text, going through undergrad and then teaching myself and being and realizing, oh, there's some really cool texts here that I can do something else with with these other things is really great. Because as an adult, I'm appreciating those texts differently because of this framework. That's pretty funny, Casey. I I didn't I would not have guessed that about you. Um, Just to piggyback on what you all were saying on educating your colleagues and certainly your students on the value of young adult literature, I mean, the field is just booming. I mean, even since we've published the piece in 2017, there are so many great young adult texts out there right now, and more and more and more day after day. Speaking to what Bill was talking about before, about the problem of the single voice, or as Adichie says, the danger of a single story, I think that's a, a good thing to take away as well when you're thinking about quad text sets equity, using all of these things in your classroom that, you know, your text set that involves an immigrant student shouldn't all be about only the issues faced, you know, and the challenges of being an immigrant, right? It should also celebrate joy and have things about, you know, other parts of that person's experience. So something like 
like the sets that we're talking about here can help facilitate that. And something that Bill talks about a lot too, which I think is really helpful for ELA teachers to think about is that you are not tied to reading a text from start to finish. You can take excerpts, you can read parts, you can have students do some jigsaw activities. So that helps alleviate some of the pressure I think that teachers feel to read and get that volume in from start to finish for every single text. So you've all been using quad tech sets over the past few years. What have been your favorite uses of quad tech sets to teach for equity and social justice? So I didn't want to get too specific in terms of text because like Jill said, there's so much out there at this point in time. But I think when you choose your text, you need to kind of match your experience with quad tech sets. Like don't pick something that's going to be so overwhelming for you the first time you're trying this. Something that takes you out of your comfort zone, but isn't so far out of your comfort zone that you can't, you don't really know how to address like issues that are going to come up. Do your research before you really try to dive into this. You also need to look at what students are actually interested in. I think that a lot of times teachers kind of get this plan in their head of what they want things to be. And then the kids are like, this isn't what we actually want to talk about. We want to talk about this instead. And most of the time, it's a little more interesting you need to listen to that voice along the way and kind of adjust as you go. I think my favorite use of the quad tech set is when it's cross-curricular. For me, I've seen it use like a concept in ELA. And then the science and social studies teachers kind of look and say, oh, well, how could we do something with this? So students can see application beyond the text and beyond a specific subject area. I've seen our art teacher jump in and do creative projects with it. She is also a social justice warrior in our school, and she gets the kids excited to create passion projects out of these kinds of topics. So I think it's really important to note that every teacher is a teacher of the type of reading that happens in their discipline. So it's not limited to that one block a day. It's essential to work on those literacy practices everywhere. And when it can be embedded across different subject areas, students can really see the worth in it. One other thing that has been really great in my school is we have students working on equity and improvement work alongside our teachers. And one of the things that they've started to do is they actually work on plan, do, study, act cycles. For those of you in the improvement world, you are familiar with those But the students do them about topics that they're learning about in these texts and things that they care about. So they kind of go from that, I'm learning about these social justice issues, I want to do something, to, okay, how can I do that in a structured way and actually make an improvement in my own school? So our students go from learning to actually doing, and that's what's important about social justice. So I think that quad tech sets can play a big part in that. I totally agree. I feel like quad tech sets work the best when there's a thematic approach and it connects back to the real world or it connects back to your students' lives. So my favorite part is when students kind of get that aha moment or they leave the classroom and they hear something on the radio or they see something on TV or social media and they're like, that connects back to, that's happened to my students a couple of times. That's also something I really push them to start looking for I do a mini lesson before I get into quad tech sets. I normally do a mini lesson on what exactly is literary analysis. So I teach them how to use all these different lenses to look at different things. And we look at commercials and music videos, like anything you could think of. 
to kind of pull out little pieces so that when we do get to a quad tech set, they can look at it more closely. And I think that brings them a sense of like, oh, I'm actually under, I had one boy last year, I think during the pandemic, I think that he was a little resistant, hesitant, like, why is she teaching me like how to analyze this stuff? And then he noticed something, I forgot what it was outside of the classroom. And he actually was like, you actually do know what you're talking about. Like it is coming, making sense. It does, you know, all kind of connect together. So I think that's the beauty of the quiet tech set is because it is thematic and all of the texts are connecting themselves together that they get to have a better experience as they're learning because it's not just about the literature, but it's also about their lives. My favorite text set is probably Their Eyes Are Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston is our anchor text. And I bring in how the town inside of the text is one of the first incorporated towns that it was run by all African-Americans. And the students are like, oh, really? Like, I've never heard of that. I didn't even know that existed. We also learn about the Harlem Renaissance. So I bring that piece in. But then I also bring in how African-American vernacular English was created because the main character, she talks and like comes off as a very broken type of English, but it helps us to zone in on the social justice aspect, the history aspect, because then they realize our main character is half African-American. She's half Caucasian. And they're like, what is going on here? Right. They have all of these judgments that they have because I pull out little snippets from the text without them reading anything first. And then I have them go around the room and look at each thing. And they, they're they like, her language is really different. So that text set probably is my favorite because it gives them the aha, because most of them don't even realize that there are grammatical features. They don't even, they don't even realize that the language is actually a language because they're so used to all of the stereotypes and the judgment. So I just think it's an excellent example of bringing social justice issues, bringing up stereotypes, bringing up culture, but still connecting it back to the literary aspect. So I think quintessence that focus on social justice and equity, I think they're awesome because it helps students to become critical thinkers. It helps them to look at things from a totally different perspective. But most importantly, it really helps them to become global-minded citizens as they navigate school, but also as they navigate the world. Oh, man, Tara, that sounds so awesome. (laughs) I think especially the one thing that really resonated with me that you were talking about African-American vernacular English. And like you said, so few of us really in this country are aware of its really rich linguistic history and the fact that it is a language variety that has rules and you could really use your text to explore that. So that's really cool. A text set that I've really enjoyed using in the last few years is Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quintero as the anchor text. And one of the things I've really been enjoying doing with that text is discussing intersectionality because the main character, Gabby, is Mexican-American and low income. She does a lot of thinking in the book about gender and especially her culture's religious expectations around gender. She also has a friend who's queer and a friend who gets pregnant. So there's just a lot to engage with in that book. But one of the joys of it, too, is she's just really funny and likable. So I think that students today, like we were talking about the difference between students today and in this time as opposed to 2017, I think they have a greater understanding of intersectionality, but it's a tricky concept. So for me, this book has been, along with the other three texts that I tend to teach with that have been really helpful in that way. Yeah, Jill. So first of all, I still use Gabby Girl in Pieces. We're using it again this semester. I love that book. You introduced me to that book. And so I thank you for that. Tara, I want to bring up a really good point that you made, which is really, it's really about building critical analytic skills. 
around these issues of equity. So the texts are great, and we want to be able to see, have students see themselves in the text that we choose. That's obvious, right? That's, that's a really important part. But I think that one of the things that we have to think about is that, you know, like one of the things I always tell my students is like texts are vehicles in order to achieve our goals. They're not the goal themselves. They're the vehicle to achieve the goals. And that critical thinking is so, so important. But also it's really important because it allows us to start thinking about what other texts are going to go into like our tax set. I was putting together a tax set for a school in Delaware. They were doing a doll's house by Henrik Ibsen. Doll's House is a 19th century Norwegian parlor drama, right? Like not the most accessible text for kids. But if I was doing that text, what I'd really like to take a look at it from an equity issue is sort of the way that gendered expectations in society really have a tendency to kind of control and sometimes warp people, right? And and so if I'm going to get at that and I want kids to critically analyze that, then the first kinds of texts that I would choose for that were actually like how we can actually teach them about like gendered expectations in short videos of like Leave it to Beaver, right? Like from the 1950s or 60s or coffee commercials from the 1960s where women are given very specific roles and men are given other specific roles. Once we understand that we want to be able to kind of talk about like gender equity in Doll's House, then we can kind of backwards plan a little bit to start choosing those informational texts and video texts that can actually build that understanding. So I'm really, really glad you brought that up because it really is about those critical analytical skills to start really digging deeper into these issues of equity and social justice. And we got to give kids like the instruction and practice to do that. And those other texts in the set are a perfect way to do that. So, Casey, I just want to bring out one other issue, which is I think that, you know, as ELA teachers, we have a big role to play in kids' literacy, but we don't have the only role to play, right? They're going into other classes. And so, for me, I think that one of the things that I've been most happy with is I'm seeing even social justice and equity types of tech sets going into science classes and social studies classes. A group of teachers I'm working with in Georgia are putting together tech sets on tracing the development of segregation over time, including our still segregated, very segregated schools in New York City, right? And other kinds of Eastern urban centers. There's a science one on climate change and the way that that actually impacts particularly poor people much greater than in in the United States and other richer capitalistic nations. So I think that one of the things that I like to see is I love to see that kind of spread out. And I'd also like to see a lot more of that kind of cross-curricular types of connections that you were talking about. I think it's a great idea. We've talked a lot about the importance of developing both equity literacy and adolescent literacy in the ELA classroom, which is why I'm so excited to let our listeners know about the tool we've been working on over the past year. Bill, Jill, Tara, and Casey, in combination with PPE, the Partnership for Public Education, and CREW, the Center for Research Use and Education here at UD, have co-created a publicly available tool, which is linked to this episode, to support teachers in leveraging the quad text set approach to teach for social justice and equity in the ELA classroom. So how do you recommend using the quad text set approach to teach topics related to equity and social justice, especially for teachers who have never done this before? So I think we 
designing the tool, tried to have a couple different entry points. And we thought about if a teacher had a target text in mind already, how they might build their quad text set, if they had a more of a thematic idea already in mind and how they could build around that. We do also have some examples that are linked in the tool so you can see how to do it and some templates to work from, some questions to consider. For me, I think a key thing to really keep in mind is to keep your students' strengths and their needs in mind. So what are the things that they're passionate about? This is what Tara was talking about before. And Casey too, you know, what do they need to learn more about and what do they need to be exposed to? What are some of the misunderstandings they might have? So a text that I've been teaching the last couple of years is The Marrow Thieves by Sherry DeMoline, which is this amazing sort of dystopian fantasy book that's centered on a small group of indigenous Canadians. And a lot of my students have a very incomplete picture of the experiences of Native people in the Americas. Like, again, I think most of us do. And so I've used informational text in a web quest activity to build background knowledge about topics like the violent forced assimilation of Indigenous children and boarding schools, which has been in the news recently, and some other important topics that are related to both historical and contemporary Native life. Yeah, Jill, I think that's a really great point that you make about really kind of thinking about keeping it contemporary, thinking about our students' needs. You know, the other thing that I, I think a lot about as well is it's related to equity, but related in equity in, in a little bit of a different way. And that is, we do actually really need to be thinking about making sure that the target texts that we choose are challenging for students. A lot of times when we talk about differentiation of instruction, we don't really mean differentiation instruction. A lot of times we're just differentiating texts, right? And one of the things that's really problematic, and I understand as a former high school teacher, like we have some kids that have impoverished reading skills in our classrooms. But if we consistently give kids readings that are below their actual age level, their actual grade level, those students will never read on grade level by the time that they graduate from high school. So giving them the kind of exposure to challenging texts is actually, for me, it's also a real equity issue because the ability to independently read and make sense of text is the thing that actually is highly correlated to their success in college and in the workplace, right? So robbing of them of that ability by giving them low, consistently lower level texts is a problem for me. So I always want to kind of think really hard about where we can give them challenging literary text, uh, like Marrow Thieves, which is super challenging, has lots and lots of really interesting parts of that, that really kind of deep concepts that kids need to grasp. But then also we need to think about like, what are those texts that we're going to surround them with as well? Can we give them also some more challenging informational text to build other background knowledge about the indigenous schools that many of my students didn't know about when they started reading that book, right? So that was one place where I needed to build that background knowledge when I was using the Marrow Thieves in the Young Adult Literature class to make sure that they understood that this is really based in a real thing where families had been torn apart for over a century. I think for me, when I think about this question, first, I appreciate Bill and Joel commenting on the curricular standpoints of things, because I think when I think of this question, I think more of the uncomfortable teacher who's not quite sure how to begin. For me, I think the best way to use it, number one, is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I remember being a newer teacher 10 years in now. Is that how long it's been, Tara? Um, yes. And I was constantly told, why do you discuss politics in your classroom? And I think we must. Students need this. They care about social justice. They want to apply what they're learning to the real world. 
And when I think about my middle school students in particular, they are at a really awkward age. And we can all think back to middle school where the world just feels unfair and you feel like you can't do anything about it. So when I work with those students in particular, I really want them to feel powerful like they can do something. And the only way they can do that is if teachers get out of their comfort zones and figure out how to have conversations about this. So I think a big important thing to think about here is no topic can be off limits. You need to be uncomfortable. That's how you're growing. That's how your students will grow. You need to start with this is going to be uncomfortable and just kind of accept it. And then another thing you need to keep in mind is you always have more to learn when it comes to equity, especially Jill mentioned earlier, if your lived experiences like mine are different from the students that I teach, I need to make sure that my voice is not the dominant one in my classroom. I'm there to guide them, but the kids need to take ownership of it. And the quad tech set really does that. So it's a good way for me to step back. I have those plans there and I have ideas of how to embed these equity issues, but it's not me controlling the conversation. Voices like mine have controlled the conversation for a really long time. So my students need to be able to do that. Lastly, I think the most important thing, and this kind of ties into my first point for teachers, is start now. Don't wait until you feel comfortable because you probably won't ever feel totally comfortable learn by doing, apologize when it gets messy. I've sent plenty of emails to parents saying, hey, I totally messed this up. This is where I thought we were going with this and it didn't work, but we're all open and honest with each other and it makes it work. Just know that you are ready and plan a lot. I think my best teaching is when I have a thousand backup plans and then I don't use any of them because the kids decide what we're doing anyway. So grow with them and that's the best advice I have for using these. I totally agree with you. Having the backup plans is always a must for me that I think that teachers really just need to be open minded, especially if this is something that's new. You've never done it before. Obviously, this is something we live and breathe. We're really passionate about it. In case you didn't hear this entire podcast. Um, But if you're new to it, you'll get stuck and give up in the process if you're not open-minded and willing to try something new. And like Casey said, to come out of your comfort zone to do what's best for students, which might not always be your favorite thing to teach or to go over, but you really want to get in there with your students and provide them with the best experience, right? Because they're going to obviously remember you in your class forever, right? You want to stretch yourself to try something new or to infuse new videos or visuals or poetry into your class. If you're unsure, that's why you should really check out the awesome website that we created. It has a ton of resources. There's also examples of quad tech sets that we have used before where you can get some great ideas. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Success leaves clues. So there are a ton of teachers, ourselves included. We've done this. We've been in the classroom. So why not check out what we've been working on for quite some time for you to learn what to do. But as we know, as teachers, there's always some level of trial and error. So the best way is to put yourself out there, try it out and see how it works. But use the resources that are there for you. And we hope that you enjoy our tool. Okay. So Casey, I really appreciate that challenge or sort of you know, urging of us as educators to think about being uncomfortable with us. I also 
that made me think of the identity piece that teachers really should be considering as they embark on equity work. And so we did link some resources in the tool of both presentations that we've made, but also some really great resources out there from other organizations. And I think particularly for teachers who have an aspect of their identity that is more marginalized, it, it is okay to maybe not start with attacking that kind of issue in your classroom if you feel like it could be difficult for you to do that at first. Sometimes, as you said, Casey, like white teachers are afraid to talk about race. We might feel like it's not, I'm a white teacher as well, might not feel like it's our place or that we fully understand it. And so that's a different kind of discomfort than the discomfort of addressing race as a racially minoritized teacher. So I think that if that's the case for you, I just encourage you to really, in any case, really to explore your own identity, thinking about what's really important to you, what's emotionally laden for you. If that's not where you want to start with your very first quad tech set, that's okay. There are plenty of social justice and equity issues to, to explore. And then as time goes on, you know, hopefully you can look at some other issues as well. But just to be mindful of our own emotional needs as teachers and thinking about that as well as the needs of our students is important. That's a good point because there's a lot of teachers that are working with pretty prescriptive and rigid curricula. And so their ability or at least their feelings of their ability to make choices that are outside of that, those rigid parameters, sometimes would maybe get in the way of them making those choices of kind of multiple tacks. But it seems like I think you're thinking about it exactly the right way, which is like, okay, so if that's the target text, right, that's in the curriculum, then we can kind of bring in some other pieces in order to enhance that as well. I mean, one thing that Jill said that just kind of spoke to me here in regards to thinking about using this in your classroom is there are limitations to what you can do sometimes because of what's required of you, right? You have your curriculum that you're told you must teach, or maybe you're getting a new curriculum this year, and this concept seems like an additional thing. It doesn't need to be something separate from what you're doing. In fact, it's better if you can embed it with what you're already doing. Maybe you have anchor text that you must use for your curriculum. So then see what else you could pair with that to create more of that quad text that approach to make it a little more meaningful for students. In our tool, we have a list of texts that you might have to teach according to your curriculum and then other ways that you could expand that out using the quad text that tool, especially with that equity focus. I want to thank Dr. Bill Lewis, Dr. Jill Flynn, and the truly outstanding teachers, Tara Pritchett and Casey Montanay for joining me today. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Also, please check out the resource we co-created to support you in teaching for social justice and equity in the ELA classroom using the quad text set approach by visiting udell.edu backslash PPE and navigating to the E4E podcast link on our homepage or following the link in the description. Thank you for listening to this episode of E4E brought to you by the University of Delaware Partnership for Public Education. For more information about the work being done by the Partnership for Public Education, please visit our website at www.udel.edu/ppe.